0: So a guy wanted to go visit one of his old military buddies who was in a nursing home now. Hadn't seen him in many years and he looks him up, finds him, gets to the nursing home, walks into his room and and sees his old buddy sitting there in a recliner. Walks over and leans down gets really close to his face and says, hey old man do you know who I am? man looks at him and Says back uh, with a quizzical expression and just shakes his head and his friend looks down again and gets a little closer and says, hey, old man, do you know who I am? With that, his buddy smiled real big and he said, no, I don't, but if you go ask one of the nurses, they can tell you. (laughs) You know, wouldn't it be great if we had... (laughs) If we just had somebody who could tell us who we are all the time. See, I think we've got an identity crisis, especially those who are Christians. We don't realize who we are. And so last week, we started asking this question, who am I? And we said that we listened to a lot of different voices and there are voices from our past, there are voices that we hear that could be a belligerent father telling us that we need to, to we need to shape up, we need to improve because we're not going to get any better than, than maybe a brother or a sister. We think about a bullying coach who was always giving us a difficult time. We think about statements that our ex made when he or she said that they were leaving and, and all these things begin to form our identity and who we think we are. We hear these voices when we go and stand in line at Walmart and we see these magazines and we hear this voice that says, this is how you should look or, or this is the lifestyle that you should live. And we wonder, who really am I supposed to be? I remember last week we said, the great thing is God, God wants to shout above all the other voices and he wants to speak truth into our lives and say, listen, first and foremost, you are my child. And not only are you my child, but you are my dwelling place. And you are a new creation. Who you are is not who you were. And those are great truths. And and it started helping us see who we were and, and how we needed to be able to look at ourselves. But there's another voice that shouts to us that I wanted us to think about just for a few minutes today. We mentioned it earlier as I is I wanted you to start thinking about Psalm 139. It's a voice that shouts out and says, Where you are is who you are. Where you are is who you are. Your identity is tied to the fact that you're middle-aged or or that you're retired. Your identity is tied to whatever position you're given at the office. Your identity is tied to whatever your health is right here and, and right now. Depending on your job situation, employed, unemployed, married, single, divorced. Your identity is tied to your station in life. That's the voice that calls out saying you can never rise above where you are right now, because where you are is who you are. So here's what I want us to do today. We're going to go to the Old Testament. We haven't been there in a while. Now we've been camped out in the Gospels, particularly and then a little bit this year in the book of Acts, for over about a year and a half now. I want us to, to return to the Old Testament this morning. We're going to be in the first book of the Old Testament. That is what? Some of you weren't sure. Did you hear that? It was like Genesis. Yeah, what she said. That's right. That's what it is. Genesis, first book in the Bible. Go ahead. Open up there. Begin turning. And when you get to around chapter 37, I want, you to, I want you to stop. Because I want you to see, I want you to see just a little bit of a glimpse into the life of a man who realized that where he was, did not dictate who he was. Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 23, it says, So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped him of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. They took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it, and they sat down to eat a meal. It was an abandoned cistern, roots that were growing out, rocks that were cracking along the side, moist in the bottom because of the tears that Joseph cried as he is laying there in this pit, in this cistern, hands to his side, knees to his chest, cramped up in this small space, crying out, becoming hoarse. And we know that his brothers heard him because if you read through Joseph's story, When you get closer to the end of it, in chapter 42, you find out that later on, 22 years later, these same brothers are going to meet up with Joseph again in a totally different circumstance. And they are going to say, we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and he would not, or we would not hear. I mean, how could people be so calloused? I mean, I'm not going to ask you where you tied up and threw your brother when you were little, but hopefully you at least went and told your parents afterwards Hopefully after a day or two, you allowed them back at the dinner table. But that was not so with Joseph. And the reason was because they simply hated him. And I'm not exaggerating. Listen to a few verses from Scripture. Again, chapter 37. 4, 5, 8, and 11 all say the same thing. They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. They hated him even more. They hated him. His brothers envied him. This was not a good family situation. It all stemmed from the fact that Joseph was pampered like a prized calf. Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel, but he only had one love, and that was Rachel. And when she died, he began to pamper the second-born of Rachel, the youngest, Joseph. And so when the brothers went out to work all day, Joseph stayed home and played. Their clothes were secondhand. He received his famous coat of many colors. They slept in the bunkhouse. He had a queen-sized bed in his own room. While they ran, the family herd, he was always staying at home. He was treated like the firstborn, even though he was the 11th. And because of that, his brothers couldn't stand him. Add on to the fact that whenever they would show up for breakfast, he would talk about these dreams that he was having. And how in his dreams, all of his brothers were bowing down to him. Now, how well would that have gone over at your breakfast table? If you had gotten up in the morning and said, hey, I just want, I just want you to know that in the future, and you look at your brother, you look at your, your sisters, and you say, there's coming a time. I know it's hard for you to believe right now, but it's, this is what's going to happen. That you all are going to come to me, and you are going to bow down in, in, in front of me. Now, you could say that to your brothers or sisters once, okay? You could probably say that once, maybe and get away with it. And you, then you learned your lesson, because that was when you were taken outside and, and left somewhere for the day. But, but not Joseph, no, he, he keeps coming back with this same message over and over and over again. And so one day the brothers caught up with him far from home, about 60 miles away from daddy's care. And it says in verse 23 and 24, they stripped him of his tunic, they took him, they cast him to the pit. And look at those defiant verbs. They took him, they, they cast him, they stripped him. This was a murderous rage that they were in. They were going to make sure that they covered everything up. They're going to make sure that they lied to their father. They said, we're just going to tell him that some animal devoured him. Now if Joseph had saw the assault coming, I guess he could have put on his padded clothes for the day to make it a little bit more comfortable when he was thrown into the pit. He could have made sure that he had read up on all of his Houdini books to know exactly how to get out of the toughest knots. But he was caught off guard. Ending up in the pit as his station caught him off guard. And the same thing happens to us. We don't realize it when it happens. Joseph didn't see his assault coming. Maybe your assault came in the form of a diagnosis. Maybe your assault was a foster home or a traumatic injury. Joseph was thrown in a hole and and despised. And you, you were thrown in the unemployment line and just forgotten. You were thrown into divorce and abandoned. Maybe even thrown into a bed and abused. It was the pit. And some people never recover. Some people never recover, and life is reduced to one quest trying to get out of where I am. Because where I am is who I am. And when I look and see where I am, I don't like it, but there's nothing much I can do. And so every single day, every hour, every minute is focused on trying to be somewhere else so that I can be someone else. Pits have no easy exits. And I'm sure that Joseph's thoughts were similar to ours. He's there in this hole and he's wondering, how long? I mean, how long am I going to have to stay here? He asks, will I ever? Will I ever be able to get up and walk again? Is this how it ends? I had all these dreams, all these plans. This wasn't a part of the plan. This wasn't how I saw my life coming together. You see... These thoughts that you have probably were going through Joseph's mind as well as he saw where he was and began to contemplate who he was. But the pit was not to be his final destination thanks to some Ishmaelites who were wandering along. They came upon Joseph's brothers and they decided that they would enter into a transaction. The brothers were happy to make a little money off of it. This way they could get the brother truly off their hands and be able to have something to show for it says in verse 28 that they, he was sold for 20 pieces of silver and that the Ishmaelites took Joseph with them down to Egypt. You know, everything that goes up has to come down. My son learns that on a regular basis. So whenever you see him walking the halls here with boots or cast, you know exactly that. Everything that goes up has to come down. Maybe you've been down your luck. Maybe you've been down in the mouth. Maybe you've been down to your last dollar. You know what it means just to keep going down, down, down. And as we turn the page in Joseph's story, what we expect to find, we brace ourselves even, because we expect to find where we see him continually to spiral down. First, he was abandoned by his brothers. He was thrown into the pit. Now he's being sold. And you just expect this downward spiral to continue into addiction and anger and despair. But you're wrong. Look at Genesis 39, verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph and he succeeded. One translation says, he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now notice, notice how scripture is clear to say where he's at. Where is Joseph's station? Earlier, he was in a pit. Now, he's in his master's house. He is a slave. But notice what it says about him. He's successful. He's succeeding. Just because he was in a pit did not define him. Just because he was a slave, that was not his identity. He was successful. He arrived in Egypt with nothing but his clothes on his back. His family tree was meaningless. His occupation was despised. The clean-shaven people of the pyramids didn't want anything to do with the woolly Bedouins that came from Palestine. And yet he succeeded. You say, how? How can someone who is in a terrible situation, how is someone who is in a terrible place in life still be able to succeed? And the answer is clear in Scripture. It's because God was with him. You can look about four verses there in chapter 39. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, the master saw the Lord was with him. Again, it says the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Verse 5, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in the field. Joseph's story is not one where the main character is encouraged to go to the local bookstore and pick up the latest self-help book to encourage him to dig a little deeper. Joseph's story points elsewhere. It says that you need to look higher. His success came because God was present. And I just wonder about your own version of Egypt your own state, where it is that that you are currently living, where you find yourself as an empty nester, or where you find yourself raising up the little ones. You just found out you're expecting this area that you're in right now, and it just feels foreign to you because you've never been here before. You don't know the language. You didn't pull out the dictionary to be able to understand the vocabulary of crisis. You feel far from home. Maybe the money is gone. The expectations are dashed. You look around trying to find, where are the friends that are going to help me? Who is left? And the answer is and we looked at this earlier who's left God is in Psalm 139 David asked where can I go from your spirit where can I run from you and and then he lists the various places he said God is he says if I go to the heavens you're there if I go to the grave you're there if I rise with the sun in the east and settle in the west beyond the sea even there you're going to guide me he's saying God God is just everywhere Now Joseph's account, with his life, if he were to use these verses, he could say, where can I get away from your spirit? If I go to the bottom of the pit, you're there. If I go to the top of the slave block, you're there. If I'm living in the home of a foreigner, you are there. Even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will be upon me. Maybe your adaptation reads like this. Lord, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the rehab, you're there. The ICU, you're there too. The overseas deployment office, you're there. The shelter for battered women, you're there. If I go to the county jail, even there, your hand will guide me. Because you will never go where God is not. Never. When you just look and think about where you are right now, Whether you're in middle school or or whether you're retired and you think about all those areas in between and all of those different roads that you go on, all the different valleys you go through, no matter where you are, no matter where your station in life is, God is present. So I want you to envision the next week. Where are you going to find yourself? If you're going to be in school, you need to know that God indwells the classroom. If you're going to be on the highway, you need to know that his presence lingers among the traffic. In the hospital operating room, the executive boardroom, the in-laws living room, the funeral home, God is there. God is there. See, Joseph's story actually gets worse before it ends up getting better. If you've ever heard it before, you kind of know what takes place. If you... If you first time being introduced to this, go ahead and and just continue reading all the way to the end of Genesis to to see the amazing things that happen. His his abandonment led to enslavement, then entrapment, and finally imprisonment. He was sucker punched. He ends up being sold out. He's he's mistreated. He's lied to. He's forgotten. People make promises only to break them. Offer gifts and they take them back. One author said, if hurt were a swamp land, then Joseph was sentenced to a life of hard labor in the Everglades. And yet he never gave up. You read through his story and bitterness never overtakes him. Anger never grew into hatred. It is something that is so far removed from the way that you and I normally respond when we look at where we are and say, I don't like this. And I wish things were different. And I don't like who I am. He not only survived, he thrived. I say, well, how, I understand that God was with him, but some 20 years later, when the brothers finally do show up again, and there is this re- reunion that takes place, Joseph gives his perspective in how he looked on where he was at the different times in his life. He gives a perspective and lets his brothers understand. Listen, there's a certain way you need to look at life. Whether you're at home and you think you're the favored son, or whether you're in the pit, or whether you're a slave, or whether you're in prison, whether things are going great or things are going terrible. No matter your station, he says, this is how you should look at things. It's at the end of Genesis chapter 15 and verse 20. He tells his brothers, as for you, You meant the things that you did as evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. To preserve the lives of many people. You see, there was a famine that was going to be coming to the land. And Joseph's family was going to be caught up in this famine. And God needed Joseph to be in Egypt in order to be able to collect food, in order to be able to get supplies so that Joseph's family and others from Palestine would be able to survive the famine. But the road that it went on to get him there was a very rough and rocky one. And Joseph said, listen, you might have thought you were doing evil, but God ended up achieving good. And here's what you need to remember about your station in life and where you are. In God's hands, intended evil does become eventual good it does Joseph tied himself to the pillar of this promise and he held on for dear life you read Joseph's story and he doesn't gloss over evil it doesn't gloss over injustice it doesn't gloss over any kind of pain yet time and again God redeemed the pain the torn road became a royal one. The pit became a palace. The broken family grew together. The very acts that some intended to be evil ended up being something where God ends up getting praise. Where Satan begins to break apart, God begins to weave. I love this about what Joseph says. When he says, you meant it against me for evil, the Hebrew verb that he uses there is one that talks about being able to weave something together taking strands and putting them together to make something that is impressive, to make something that is beautiful. He says, that's what God did. The very acts that you thought were going to destroy me, God wove them together to achieve something beautiful. He rewove it for good because he's the master weaver. Nothing escapes his reach. Every king and every weather pattern and every molecule is at his command. He passes back and forth throughout all of our generations so that no matter where you find yourself in life, you realize God is here and God is working and God is powerful. There's another word that he uses that says that God is a builder. When he says God meant it for good in order to bring about, that's a Hebrew word that is used in construction terminology. And it talks about the idea of being able to build something, having a building project that's going on. And so Joseph looks at everything, he says, God's weaving it together, yet he's also building things. Now, if you guys ever have to travel through Chattanooga on a regular basis and you're on the interstates, you know how terrible it is when it comes to traffic, right? And you know, especially now what they're doing on 27, as you're going, trying to get into Chattanooga and they're going to enlarge things and there's all of these barriers that are up. You know, the only people happy about what's going on are the workers, right? That's the only people happy about all that that's going on. But not just because they're working, but those who are working on it and those who are putting it together, they have seen the plans and they know what the final project is going to look like when it's all completed. And they're working on it step by step by slow, slow step. And, And eventually it's going to be done and it's going to be great. But right now it's a work in progress. And Joseph said, that's our life. It's a work in progress that God is building even in those times when you are places that you do not want to be. You see, by giving us Joseph's story, God is allowing us to study his plans. And we see how that he takes brothers who are dumping another brother in a pit. We see how he takes the entitlements and family squabbles and feuds. And all these things leave families scattered and lives broken. And you see how he goes over and he dusts something off here and he picks something up there. And he hammers a nail in over here and things begin to build up. So, the chaos from Genesis 37, 24 that says they cast him in a pit becomes the triumph of Genesis 50 and verse 20 that says this happened so that many people could live. And here's what I want you to know I think you are a version of Joseph in your generation. You represent a challenge to Satan's plan. You carry something of God within you, something noble and holy, something that is that the world needs. Maybe it's your wisdom, maybe it's your kindness, maybe it's your, it's your mercy or your skill. And if Satan can, just like he tried to destroy those grandsons of Abraham, he will try to destroy you and mute your influence. And so he shouts out loud so that you can hear, where you are is who you are. Just get used to it and deal with it. Aren't you glad there's other people though that shout the words of God and says, no, that's not true. Where you are is not who you are. One of those people who's shouting loud right now is one one who's in our midst. Many of you know that uh, Gary Highfield uh, about a year or so ago wrote a book that talked about his life and things that took place and different choices that he made and different uh, choices that others made that affected him. And he has a passion for communicating not just his story but the goodness of God to other young people. And one of the things that he tries to remind them is that, listen, where you are is not who you are. And so each week he goes into high schools he goes to East Ridge. he goes to Ridgeland, and he meets with students and he tells them, listen, where you are right now in your life is not who you are. And he's carrying others with him as he's trying to, to bring mentors alongside these young people, as he's trying to connect them with people who have careers in areas that these children have interest. And he, so he has the schools complete a survey of the children. Listen, what are you interested in and what do you want, what do you want to be Don't tell me where you are right now. Tell me where you're going. And these kids are are listing all the things that they would like to be. And Gary is working to partner with others who are not only within our church family, but others within the Chattanooga community to give mentors to these young people so that they can understand that where they are is not who they are. And he's had children come to him that have told some terrible stories Stories about how over the weekend that that mom's boyfriend raped them repeatedly. Stories about how that they are the man of the family helping to raise brothers and sisters because mom and dad are both in jail. And you think, well, those are just the extremes. But what you find out as you listen to Gary and those of you that have gone with him, you know, you've heard some of these stories from these young people. You begin to realize that more and more these are becoming the norm. And Satan is shouting and telling these young people, listen, where you are is who you are. And you're never going to be good for anything. Gary has a want-to foundation. And he wants you to want to help him. He wants you to want to help be mentors to the children who are here in our city so that we can also speak to them the Word of God and let them know, listen, where you are right now, God sees you, God's with you, it might be the pit, it might be in some stranger's home, but God can work what is meant for evil for good. I hope you'll seek Gary out and speak with him about what he is doing and about how perhaps you can can help him in the future. See, Joseph will be the first to tell you that life in the pit stinks. And yet for all of its rottenness, the pit at least does this much. It forces you to look up. See, you look at where you are right now and you think, I hate my life, maybe. Maybe. You look at your setting right now, you say, I I wish it was like it was 20 years ago. Or I wish that, I wish that I could have, have, have done something like my brother did. Or I wish, I wish that I could have, I wish that I could have achieved all my goals and dreams. Just where I am right now, I don't like it. My health is failing me. This is not where I thought I would be at this point in time in my life. And Joseph says, I get it, the pit stinks. But it forces you to look upward. See, someone from up there must come down here and give you a hand. And that's what God did for Joseph. And at the right time and in the right way, God says, I, I help you, I'll I help you too. See, God gets us through stuff. You read through the Old Testament. He got these people through the Red Sea on dry ground. They went through the wilderness. The psalmist said, he goes through the valley of the shadow of death with you. Through is a favorite word of God. And I'll leave you with this. Isaiah 50, 43 and verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. God says, I'll get you through. The pit, Egypt, none of these things define Joseph. He was not a victim of circumstance. He was not a product of his environment. His location never changed who he was. He was a child of God. He was created by God. God saw him in his mother's womb before he ever came to be. All the days of his life were appointed before he ever breathed his first breath. And God knew exactly where he would be and when he would be there. And God said, I will be there with you. Friends, where you are is not who you are. Your identity is in Christ and in him alone. You are God's child. You are the very dwelling of God and you are a new creation. And no matter if you might be right now in the pit or in the pit house, you still have the same identification card to let everybody know that no matter the circumstance, no matter what's taking place in your life, you're a child of the king. We're going to sing a song to encourage each other. And I want to encourage you that that if you are not a child of the King, that if you've been wondering, who am I? And and if you've been thinking, you know what? I I am just just my station in life. I am just where I'm living right now. Then I want you to know that there's an opportunity for you this morning, an opportunity for you to give your life to Jesus Christ, understand what it means to become a new creation. Because of your belief that He truly is the Son of God, we will celebrate as you are baptized into Christ, as you clothe yourself with Christ, as you become a new creation and begin to understand that your identity is sealed in God, not in what takes place around you. Derek, come and lead us. If you need to respond, we encourage you to do so as together we stand and sing.